Garden Report is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Normally, you know, these these sad shows are just me and Bobby, but we've got Joe Sway Pavone. Couldn't get a date tonight. Sherrod hey, Blakely. I was out last Sunday. Give me some credit. Hey, hey. Taking it easy tonight. Sherrod Blakely in Atlanta. Never misses a trip down there. Um, Always. Covering, yep. Covering the Celtics. Uh, uh, you know, We get the is, highlights right behind him. Look at I that. I don't blame him. I don't you know, blame him. We're getting copyrighted for this. Um, <laughs> but uh, one thing we do want to tell you before we get started, and we'll mention this again later in the show, but one of the exciting things happening at CLNS Media this week, and for those of you out there in the uh, Bay State uh, who like to uh, lay some action, uh, you know, from time to time, as I know some of you may, um, we are now partnered with FanDuel. It's the exclusive uh, wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network and the frontline sponsor here at The Garden Report. If you are interested in uh, yes, taking advantage of some special offers right now, all you have to do is uh, do exactly that. Head over to uh, FanDuel.com slash Boston. That's how you're going to be uh, uh, clued into a special deal here that we are offering. Um, 200 bucks. All you have to do is bet five fanduel.com slash Boston, and you can get yourself a uh, $200 in bonus bets. So please check that out. Uh, definitely very cool. I think something that, uh, you know, for those of you out there that like to uh, like to play a little bit, um, this is as good an opportunity as you're going to have. Uh, please do it through us. And if you are going to sign up and you do sign up through uh the fanduel.com slash Boston uh, URL uh, save the receipts. Cause there will be uh, some bonuses that go out uh, to some of our viewers and some of our fans when you do support our sponsors. So we do appreciate that. We'll tell you more a little later. We're going to get into the game Celtics win Sherrod. You were there. So you get to go first, go. Good game. I mean, for the most part, I, I thought the Celtics, you know, they, they came in here and they did what they hoped to do, which was get control of the game and never really seize control of that. I had a chance to talk to Malcolm Brogdon before the game. And, you know, the, we, we talked about just the approach going forward. And he said, you know, that for them, it's about seeding. It's about trying to get that number one spot back uh, because they know for them to do that, it's going to force them to play better than they have been playing of late. And the one other thing he said, and it felt almost like prophetic looking at how this game was starting to kind of teeter-totter, he said it was important for them to finish game strong. Uh, and because remember, when they were going through those those doldrums, it wasn't like they were playing bad games. It's just that they were playing bad stretches in those yeah. games uh, where they were having double-digit leads and they were just choking them away. You felt that this game was kind of kind of teetering in that direction for a little bit. But the one thing that jumped out to me about this game was that they came up with so many big plays at the defensive end of the floor. Blake Griffin with a block shot near the end of the second quarter. You know, Jalen Brown got a stale layup for Derek White the other way, all within like a, a matter of seconds. You know, Sam Hauser, I thought, made a couple of plays where he, he cut off driving lanes that led to turnovers. They did so many different little things that if you're trying to be the best team in the East and get that home court advantage throughout the playoffs, you're going to need to do that consistently. And this was a good start in that direction. But obviously, they've got to figure out a way to do this with a lot more regularity going forward. Yep. Um, yeah. Go, go ahead, Bobby. Tonight had some of the frustrations we've seen over the last week or two here, but you saw progress uh, from all the different things Joe Missoula has talked about, which I think is the most encouraging thing out of this one, even if it wasn't a perfect game, is I think they played 
the way he wanted to pretty attentively uh, throughout this one. And it worked to manage that lead through the second half due, through those different Hawks runs. Uh, lineup still a work in progress. I thought the bench was great at extending that lead. The starters didn't do as well of a job maintaining it, uh, especially late into the game. And you had all the highs and lows of Marcus Smart in this one again, um, which is, is going to be, I think, right up there um, among their priorities late this season is not to mention uh, seeding, as you as you said, Shrod, but getting smart right. And tonight he veered closer at times. Uh, still a rough game from the field. Uh, unspectacular finish with the ejection, um, but still those smart plays, the tip-out offensive rebound and the three right after, that was a super important play down the stretch. Uh, that's another thing Joe's emphasized lately are those offensive rebounds. Uh, and defensively, I thought he gave them some uh, good plays throughout the course of this game too. But it was another night where you got White and Brogdon rolling and smart, not as much on the offensive end, making a few mistakes that missed layup. And uh, yeah. it took until the ejection to finally get Brogdon back out there. Most in- That turnover too. Exactly. I mean, he, you knew he was trying to do something funky on that layup when he turned over. Most, in, inter- most yeah. interesting thing about Marcus Smart and what's happened to him over the past few weeks is he's reverted back into old Marcus, not entirely with his play, even though there's more flashes of old Marcus than uh, last year's I'm running the show, you know, good point guard Marcus, but more in the fact that he has once again turned into that incredibly polarizing figure that's going to literally be the death of us uh, throughout the rest of the year and into the postseason as too much Marcus, not enough Marcus. Is Marcus the reason you're winning? Is Marcus the reason you're losing? Is Marcus shooting too much? You know, should Marcus be closing? Should it be this guy? And he's going to be at the center of it. Um, so it's just like old times with Marcus Smart. He's back. Back to his old polarizing self. It'll be and the honestly, story of the chat tonight. <laughs> he's I mean, clearly there's two stories of the chat tonight. What's funny is Grant is the new Marcus, but now Grant doesn't even play anymore. So now Marcus is back to being the old Marcus. Uh, in terms of how we're going to talk about him, and you know, again, how he's going to get talked about. It's there's just that stuff that frustrates you to the point that you want to just rip your eyeballs out when you're watching it, and then it's as you said tip outs, clutch threes, great plays, you know, perfectly timed grifts, you know, to be able to draw fouls and things like that. And then he's still going to do that stuff. But, you know, old Marcus used to rely entirely on that kind of stuff to justify his value. The guy we've seen over the course of the last year was a very, you know, a much more consistent floor general and point guard and leader. So let's just focus on that. As far as his play on the court, is there some slippage here with Marcus? I mean, yes, yeah. To, to a certain extent, I mean, offensively, sure. But he, in terms of being a playmaker, I mean, he's still making strides in the right direction, right? Yeah. I don't think it's one of those cases where he's completely gone the other way, like he was last year, where he was still trying to figure things out. I mean, he's he's figured that part out. I just think that instead of the the shot selection thing being more drawn out where what where it was before, you're seeing it in smaller stints. You know, uh, it's it's a little bit off in, in that regard in terms of. Uh, when he wants to attack and when he wants to just decide to throw up shots. I mean, but as a point guard, he's been, he's been solid in my point, in my opinion, I mean, in terms of getting guys, the ball, he just makes those, those plays every now and then. But then again, John, when the season started, it's exactly why they went out and got someone like Malcolm Brogdon, right. To reinforce when things are going bad. And I think that this was a good example of that, not just the ejection, but just overall, I felt like Brogdon had a good game. I think this, this team is starting to uh, close out quarters better. I think that was 
the biggest drop off and that throughout throughout that losing streak, especially in the fourth quarter. So yeah, they did make it a two possession game, the Hawks, but when I had the most, uh, the Celtics did close this out. They did it with the eight man rotation. Now I think that's the part of this one when you're like, okay, well the three guys off the bench played well, but like, this whole playoff approach with Joe Missoula, it's interesting because it's a six game road trip and it'll be interesting to see how, how this thing, how he, how he, you know, his approach night in and night out, if this is going to be the norm. Well, I, I think part of the issue, part of the issue, Joe Sway, I, I think is, is that Marcus never really had guys that were close enough in terms of talent and ability to where there was legitimate competition to be the playmaker. Like if you're playing behind Kyrie Irving, guess what? He's better than you. When you're playing behind Isaiah yeah, Thomas, who was a two-time All-Star, he's clearly better than you. But Malcolm Brogdon, Derek White are good players and have shown themselves to be really impactful players. And in many respects, they, they've shown to be better than Marcus in other areas, not so much. And I think Marcus is still – is in, in the, this season has been one of discovery for him, trying to figure out what can he do to be a stabilizing force. And I, I wish he would just stick to what he did last year. Because that worked. I thought that worked really well. But I think now he's in his head. He's thinking sometimes I maybe need to score and take shots more. I need to take maybe take more chances in my passing. There are things that he's doing now that used to drive us nuts because there were things that he had control of not doing. And now he's reverting back to doing a lot of those things. And you, you just wonder if, you know, Joe is going to get to the point where he's just going to just – significantly cut his minutes because if we're being honest and real Malcolm is playing really good basketball Derek yeah. White is playing really good basketball and if you're talking about how you're going to divide the minutes between those three uh you definitely I don't believe should be giving them equal minutes I, I think right now if you had to have a pecking order you kind of have to have put Marcus at the back of that just because of yeah. the fact that it, those other two guys are making a greater impact and it's yeah. not that Marcus making a bad one it's just that those guys are making more right now it's not bad one but he's clearly not physically all the way um you know there uh, i think he's been banged up i mean bobby kind of you know uh was among the first to you know when he spoke to marcus in the off season was kind of like you know right before the season started was that right bobby yeah training like, camp yeah the ankle's still like a massive issue and like it was like oh so he was dragging stuff from last year into this year and then just hasn't really been able to be fully healthy i don't know if his conditioning was necessarily at, a, at exactly the point he'd wanted to be to begin the year and marcus has done that before and he's come in and kind of played his way into peak marcus he's re-injured you know? that same ankle three but times. he's injured it so many times at this point that i think he's you know there's some juice missing there and as sherrod alluded to sherrod said the other guys are playing really really well so it is i mean i don't think i think if you ran a poll you know i mean i think it's very obvious uh you know you poll every single celtics fan i know there's a bunch of people that want to believe in marcus but i think it's d white one malcolm two and marcus three i think pretty clearly definitively at this point um, and i still you know and, I, and I'm, I'm still a big marcus smart believer don't get me wrong but it's right now just based on what we've seen the last few weeks there really should be a different kind of pecking order. And and here's another thing I'm going to just throw out there, and it's from my conversation with Malcolm this morning, uh, and I didn't know this until he, he brought it up. Malcolm has never been hit with a technical foul. In his career. In his career. And and and, and, it, and my jaw just dropped. Smart guy too tonight. Like, how the hell can you be in a league this damn long and not pick up a technical at all? There were a couple – yeah, he said there were a couple of close calls, you know, where he was just, you know, oh, ref, that's a bad call, but they didn't hit him with a tech. He said, but it, that's just who he is, and you have to respect that. That's how he plays. You can't expect that from Marcus Smart. 
but there has to be a lot that Marcus has to redefine and redraw that doesn't allow these type of things to happen. Because if they would have lost this game, you know damn well what the story would have been. Marcus Smart cost him the game. Yeah. Uh, even though obviously there were other things that went down that didn't go their way. But the bottom line is he has to be better, not only in terms of his play, but also his poise. That's yeah. the thing that really kind of That's what's me. crazy I, to I me. Think, like, I mean, the question there would be like, I, you do it with a with a six seven eight point lead or whatever it was at that point. Does he do it in a tie game? Does he have the Does he have the wherewithal to not? Did he Did he hedge? Did he kind of think about it and say, "Yeah, it's worth it." I, you know, we're still gonna win, and I'm gonna uh, get, I'm I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get my pound of flesh here because <laughs> I do want. I wonder if there's a calculation or if it was just a straight up emotional reaction, regardless of game or situation. But yeah, that's the whole point. Like. You can't be the floor leader and also just be dumb. Like, not saying Marcus is dumb, but you just can't check your brain at the door at critical moments. Like, you, it's just not an option. You've always got to be able to rise above it. Of course, there are going to be moments where the heat of the game and X, Y, and Z. But that wasn't one. That was a, I didn't love that, so I'm going to go say something about it. It wasn't a dirty, dirty play. He didn't get friggin' rambist from behind or something like that. It just was kind of like, all right, I'm just going to... Take a walk by if you want, but don't put hands on people. Like there was no, no point, no reason to do that at all. Because because he, here's the thing. I mean, all it took was those couple of free throws, a quick Celtics turnover, a three by Atlanta, and now you've got a situation where you've got to get a basket on the road against a team that you know was pretty much ready to call it a night and just say that we this was a good good effort, good try type of game. Yep. And now they got a chance to win it, uh, and it could have easily gone that way. So I, I just uh, I, I hate this type of game for Marks because he's so he's a better person than it. He's a better player than this. But he's totally. got to put him toy. So my my question would be this then. Um, you know, if Marcus is a little banged up and you're getting terrific play out of your other players and you're relatively healthy um, with everything else, at this point again, not getting all over the load management debate again, would it not would it be the worst thing in the world to, you know, Horford him a little bit, one on, one off, maybe limit some minutes. Like, why do you need to ride Marcus 35, 36 minutes into, you know, uh, into every single game? And again, another 36 tonight. And that's with Brogdon playing great and obviously White starting. So when White's in there, White's going to get his 36 too. I understand it. But you went really short bench. You went with an eight person bench. You're leaving a lot on the table here. I think you can you can get away with. Well, Pritchard's hurt now, right? Yeah, but you and the Pritchard thing doesn't help. But you can get away with less if you really needed to. Um, Why didn't Brogdon alone? Yeah, but what are you gonna? You gonna punish him, John? I mean, no, I want I want to rest him. If you I think had, you rest him after the break, though. I mean, after the um the the road trip, though. No, I think this is an important time where you want to get the most out of these guys. And, yeah, and he, here's what we're talking about. I'm glad Brogdon is talking about the standings because no one has mentioned that. So that's that's a that's a development for me. Yeah, that's one, Joe Sway. But you're also looking to reestablish rhythm with Smart and get him back to being himself. I mean, we've had this conversation about him for six years at the least, whether he's helping you or hurting you more. I think at this point we know he's helping you more than he's hurting you in the aggregate, especially in a playoff situation. Down the stretches of these games, I think he does some random stuff like the tip out tonight that can really help you. But the decision making he doesn't seem in a flow in a rhythm in a connection with everybody whether it was that weird hot like high post shot turnaround he took tonight some of the timing on the passes and then of course I think the transition play was just a, a brain fart that he was wide open on in, in that situation so you had a ton of stuff going on with him tonight but I feel the same way about him that I do as Grant he's not playing good right now he's 
making his way back, and you need to roll with him through that. And yes, White and Brogdon are killing opponents in that second unit. You take that, I think you use that as an advantage. I think they might have found something tonight with that second unit. But I'm rolling with Smart as a starter, as a closer. It's going to be a feel thing for Joe, though, on the nights where he really doesn't have it, and you yeah. really feel good about those other guys. You have to do it. Uh, you I'm, have to. And tonight, yeah, was, go ahead, Bobby. tough call. Tough call today. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I'm, I'm Bobby, I'm, I'm rolling with you with that. Uh, but I think there are opportunities within the framework of the game to get Malcolm more minutes, uh, to allow him to be more impactful. And he's already making a hell of an impact as it is. Um, I think you have to look at ways to not necessarily carve Marcus out of what you're trying to do, but just trim, slim back, trim back some of those minutes. Because Marcus, at this point, he should be high 20s, maybe low 30s. Uh, he should so. not be playing. I mean, and to me, you're talking about basically trimming him by five minutes. You can give two or three of those minutes to Malcolm, two or three of those minutes to Derek. And to me, I'm good at that point because that allows Marcus to play more than enough to get that flow, get that rhythm that we know he needs to get back into in order to be the best version of himself. And it rewards Malcolm and it rewards Derek for, for playing really good basketball. And Malcolm, you know, and again, the thing about Malcolm Brogdon, that I'm just as you spend more time around him, you discover he's just a real methodic player who isn't going to whether he was great tonight. You know, yeah, whether things are, are crazy or whether things are just real mellow, he's not going to change his demeanor. Uh, you can't rattle him. He's to me, I would hate playing against a guy like that because no matter what I did to him, no matter what I said. It's not going to matter. He's, he's a going to do what he's he a robot. Do. Even when he's not playing uh, well, he just keeps playing his game. You need players like with that type of even yeah. temperament who can play. Yeah, yeah. Particularly when you get to the playoffs, when you when you absolutely need stability as a team, as an organization, as a roster. He's a guy. I'm looking. Yeah. He needs to play 35 minutes a game in the playoffs. I don't know. How, Joe really needs to make that happen. Well, there was a discussion, you know, by yeah. Every fan seems to think they know, you know, like the health of every Celtic. So I'm I'm being told by people Grant Williams is being rested because of his elbow, even though nobody knows that. And I was being told that Robert Williams minutes were being managed because he's they're saving him for the playoffs. But nobody knows that. And I've also been told that Malcolm Brogdon's only playing in the 20s with his minutes because they're saving him for the long term. Again, we don't know that. Uh, what? But what we do know is Malcolm Brogdon is a person who you were worried might be an injury risk. And for the most part, knock on wood, you've kind of made it through the bulk of the season with him intact. So if it was a ploy or if it was a plan, great. Hats off. Kudos. But you're right. Heading into the playoffs, he's one of your better players. He's a consistent offensive player. Um, he does things a lot of other people can don't do. He settles the game. He attacks. He creates his own offense uh, and, and just plays with a calm and a poise and control. Even when he doesn't have his good games, how often you leave a game and you're like, you look at the box and you're like, Malcolm was two and two for 13, but I don't feel like he played bad, you know, like, and that's kind of a gift because that's kind of the way he plays. He's not doing dumb stuff. That's going to drive you insane. Um, all the time. Um, we're, we're killing each other here. I'm going to put up the Brogdon lower third. There it is. We just, we just kept (laughs) spotting each other. I thought thought it was just you the whole time. uh, Blink. blink. Um, So we'll talk more about Brogdon. I think this minutes conversation is really interesting. Also, uh, the great disappearing act of Grant Williams, uh, which it just gets weirder by the by the by the minute and by the day here. Uh, And then also just again, not you know, when Grant goes down, Blake comes up. 
uh, and Blake had a, a legit game tonight. So uh, a ton of super interesting thing to talk about. So uh, let's get back to what we were talking about briefly. Grant Williams, uh, what's up here? Uh, again, we've had this conversation. I don't want to belabor it all over again, but what have we seen now, right? We've seen since the free throws, a story come out about his elbow him not play for the first three quarters of the last game at all. People trying to guess, maybe it's the elbow. Maybe he's hurt. He comes out in the fourth quarter. He doesn't at all look hurt. He goes out there, jacks a bunch of shots, plays the whole fourth quarter. Not the type of thing you would do to somebody if you were resting them to be injured. It doesn't make sense that he's being rested. I'm sorry. I know people want that to be true. In the doghouse. It, it does yeah. not make sense if he's going to play an entire fourth quarter with no restrictions and shoot the ball a million times which he did last game so they are not resting him if they wanted to rest him they would just not suit him up he would appear on the injury report that's a big one right elbow injury. On he is not appearing on it as questionable or probable ever on the days leading yeah. up, and they are required to put everyone on there if they have something that's deemed significant, or else the league will Frank look could report them and 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 find them and report them. So if the Celtics believed anything was going on with Grant Williams right now that was even marginally close to preventing him from playing, they have to put him on an injury report. So again, he's not not playing because he's hurt. He's not playing. For blank. Did he do something? Is he ineffective? Did the injury and a little ailment render him ineffective? Is he using it as an excuse? Are, is he in the doghouse? This is a real... I don't get it. Because again, going back to what Bobby said, I, the, other, the other show, like, they need him, in theory, if he were to play kind of at the highest level we've seen Grant Williams play. I Blake, don't love, Blake told me that on Wednesday. Same exact Blake, sentiment. Yeah, and so I get the feeling that behind the scenes there's a sentiment that like there's something not right with the Grant's the way Grant's approaching uh, the game, his mentality. He's got himself into a slump. He's not as effective as he once was, and they think he can get out of it, but he hasn't been able to get himself out of it. So, Sherrod, again, I'll start with you. I don't know if you have any insights into this or any kind of informed opinions on on, on what you think is going on with this guy. I, I think what we're seeing with Grant is Joe Mazzula making a coaching decision. And he's going to go with the guys who are being most impactful. And, you know, we talked about Marcus Smart a little bit earlier about how polarizing he can be, where there's really good Marcus Smart stuff and then there's not so good Marcus Smart stuff. You're not getting a really good Grant Williams stuff at all now. And so for Joe, I think it's a pretty easy call to sit him, particularly when you got Blake Griffin, who you really haven't used much at all this year, who clearly has some juice you know, left. He still has some gas left in the tank. And you've got Sam Hauser playing not great defense, but but absolutely acceptable defense, and he's knocking down shots lately. So those two factors, to me, are the, the rationale, if you're Joe Mazzula, why you're not going to play Grant. Because if he's not going to stretch the floor, uh, he's, you know his defense isn't, actually, isn't standing out. Uh, what exactly is he giving us when he's on the floor right now? Right. Yeah. Uh, so so I, I don't think, I don't think they've, they've given up on Grant. I think more than anything, they're just saying, okay, let's just kind of just – go with this other group and at some point we'll work you back into the mix but you know again the thing about grant he's just one of those guys i i just he's going to figure out what he has to do to be better uh, do we, and he's going to have a so he needs to get on the court yeah, yeah. So. i think so but i think he's, he's gonna, gonna he's gotta earn it i think he has to yeah. earn he has to earn back missoula's trust i mean 
I don't think it was. How do you do that? It's well, a, there's how you many work games hard left? In practice, you do things behind the scenes that we're not going to see. You know, Fourteen. Look, when this whole thing 14 started, fourteen games, and there's not a lot of practices. Like I don't know but, what you do here. But when this whole thing started, though, no one pointed to Grant's stats. Like, look at what what he was doing in February or lack thereof. Look at the result of the team winning when he wasn't in the rotation. A lot of the times, right? I just think Joe Mazzulla has found other ways to to put together a win that didn't, that doesn't involve Grant. And I think a lot of it is, you know, his performance on the floor. You know. What was he averaging like seven to eight points throughout that month of February, shooting well below forty percent from the three point arc, which is where he, where what he from was doing field. last year from the field, right? And then compared to what he was doing last year, I mean, that's just that's just not. He was going, he's been going in the other direction for a while, and I feel like Missoula just look. I I honestly give him props for for making that decision because he's always been sort of kind of the the keep it safe you know kind of guy when it comes to his rotations but ever since the all-star break or ever since after the all-star break he's not playing around anymore he's got this eight strict eight-man rotation remember there was a right if you're not bringing it you're not going to play i I like it you know i like i like remember there was there was a point where sam hauser was out of the mix and he got exactly to get back in january right right that's fine i think grant will i think grant will get an opportunity it's just a matter of will he make the most of that opportunity to re you know Reintroduce himself. To I think it's the bullshit. Right. I think it's the bullshit as much as the play. Oh, that's I, on top of it too, John. Yeah, I yeah. Legit Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, you think he sent a message? I think it's the bullshit. Yeah. I really do. I think as much as anything, it's enough. And, 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 man. It, didn't, and it didn't help. Not a star. Stop talking to the people. Right. Stop talking to the refs. Like you're barely doing what I'm sending you out there to do. Just shut up and play. Like they who don't are you at this point? Right. Yep. I do think there's part of that where Joe might just be like, "Dude, enough." I don't right. think that helps him at all. Like right. I think it's so. Again, I'm going to read a quote from Missoula here. It's like um, your play's not even backing it up, man. Like stop it, you know. Joe, again, if you don't think when they're talking about you've got Joe and Al right now in the locker room saying these things about Blake Griffin. And when they're saying them about Blake, if you don't think this isn't a subtweet of Grant, I don't know what to tell you. Okay, Uh, on Blake Griffin, when he's on the floor, everyone is better. Okay, Mm -hmm. Al on Blake, everything he brings, he lifts our group lifts our group it's good to see him getting some minutes and showing a different side that our group has okay Grant's like not you those too. are friggin like, those, damn. that's it those are at grant <laughs> with a, those are he's pointed, like yo I, al said that al damn. those are pointed yeah. at grant with a bullet i think and it's not well, Sherrod is the only one that got my back now oh damn there's no, <laughs> there's no venom behind <laughs> it it's almost like a message like so do you get it grant like Go out there and lift us. Like, don't, you know, like, I, right. So, anyway, uh, that's well, those I, things. I think those things are, those things are, are messages. Yeah. And, and, and again, you, you have to absolutely give Blake props for what he's done. Totally. Um, cause, cause I mean, he was really good tonight. And again, the, the thing that I'm loving about Blake, and I had a conversation with someone else about this today, was that Blake might be one of the few Hall of Fame type guys who has, completely revamped their game in order to fit the needs of the team he's with. I remember Blake, Blake was above the rim doing chin-ups on anyone and everyone. jumping. Yeah, over his, his body forced him there for sure. Yeah. Right, but, but he, but he, he embraced that, though. A lot of, a lot yeah. of players ha- have physical transformations that they don't fully embrace. Like, if I'm a guy that goes get buckets and my body can't do that anymore, am I going to become a defender? Am I going to be a guy trying to draw charges? Am I going to do all those nitty-gritty, grimy type things? Probably not, but Blake has embraced that. 
Uh, but tonight he showed that he still has a little bit of lift left uh, when he when called upon, and he can score. Um, he's not going to go out there and get you 25, 30 points, but he can still get you buckets. Yo, that's super accurate, man. I think <laughs> that's really funny. I think Grant's gonna be like, "Yo, Al said that really." Uh, Al, uh, I don't know if there are any, uh, if there are any I'm, Simpsons I'm still fans keeping, out. I'm still keeping my Grant stock. Any I'm Simpsons still keeping my Grant stock. I don't if care there's any Grant about that. In the Valentine's Day episode of The Simpsons, when uh, when uh, with uh, Ralph and Lisa, when uh, when she breaks his heart. If anybody's seen that, that's what I'm, it's just, and they slow-mo it, and she does it on national TV at the Krusty special, and it's, <laughs> you know, and like, uh, like, that's what, I, that's what happened here with Grant and Al, really brutal stuff, but uh, look, I mean, again, I, I said this the other day, I really believe that um, this is uh, uh, not the end of Grant's story, I think there's more, uh, right. I think there's a chance of redemption here, but the chance, John, is that they have nobody else. I mean, Blake isn't Grant. That, that, like he he brings a role to this team that's important. He gives you relief on nights when you need it, particularly when Robert Williams is down. But Blake isn't going to play the role Grant played last postseason, and I don't think Mike Mescal is in that fold either. He has disappeared as well. Uh, so, and Luke certainly isn't Grant either. You need Grant. He does things no one else in that front court does. Uh, he he just needs to get back in a rhythm just like Smart, and that's why I do want to see him out there down the stretch. Could the antics be part of it, John? I think so. Uh, but we know Ime Udoka was willing to bench him as well, and Grant was playing so well last year that he wouldn't do it. And even Ime had his... Uh, confrontations with grant publicly over doing too much i think it got to that point with grant this year particularly on attacking closeouts where he took some wild shots i think he had a one for eight oh for eight game against charlotte at one point driving and shooting from in between he's below 40 percent on mid-range shots this year so they have this shot profile where they're trying to get off a ton of threes and i know we think of grant as a three-point shooter but he's actually not shooting a lot of threes uh, three per game. Hauser takes more, even though Hauser plays less. I mean, Hauser just game. gets it off quicker, and that's the yeah. difference. Honestly, between them right now, I, I think, think Hauser's we, the guy who's really emerging yeah, and pushing. That's Grant. what we saw happen. Is if and again, how much of this is? And again, I'll make another kind of analogy here. You know, it's like anyone who watched the movie Moneyball. Um, you know. They, Billy Bean had a team and he wanted it to play a certain way. And, I, you know, the manager wouldn't play it, you know, said, but I want you to do this and I want you to do that. And, well, the personnel here and I'm going to put this guy here and I'm going to. So he trades them. It's Joe's got these guys and he wants them to shoot threes. So he's like, I'm just going to put Hauser out there and I don't give a crap because I know that he's going to do what I want him to do. And <laughs> does every Hauser ever shoot a two? Every time he catches a ball, the dude's jacking a three. And so, <laughs> you know, someone put this in the chat earlier, and I'm curious your guys' take on it. Like, Grant, uh, I think some teams adjusted to him. They started running him off the three-point line there a little bit. But we did see him attack some closeouts early in the year and do some things we hadn't seen, some floaters and stuff like that, and a little bit of mid-range that we hadn't really seen from him or trying to take it. Um, and I think that that stopped too. And he really can't. He was never get, comfortable doing that. He's stuff, not right? comfortable and he can't right, get right. all the way to the basket. And that's certainly the, the place you don't want to be is a running floater if you're a 6'6 six, six guy approaching the trees there when really what you wanted to do was shoot. So I think Grant kind of got stuck. And somebody put in the chat, like, do you think some of the stuff he was doing earlier in the year that we're like, oh, that's different, is like hurting him now because it isn't isn't what you actually need him to do, which is honestly, sometimes it's basic. Like, 
sometimes guys like Grant, you don't need them to evolve. You just need to uh, be the thing that you were and be good at it's that. It's exactly what Ime said just last year. He has a narrow role and we need him to stay in it. That's it. So stay in your narrow role. Don't try to be Draymond. Don't try to be this guy. Don't try to be a bigger <laughs> right. thing. But yeah. Well, if you're not going to step it up, I mean, he never got comfortable doing it. That was the problem. Sherrod, yeah. Well, it, that, yeah, I, I was going to say that and, and the fact that the one thing that he, I thought, got to be pretty effective with was that corner three and, and being a defender, teams were starting to take that away. So he had to have counters. But the problem for Grant is that his counters don't really allow him to be impactful. I mean, Grant putting the ball on the floor attacking is exactly what the defense wants because they know he's either going to take a bad shot, he's going to make a bad pass, or he's going to turn the ball over. Uh, more times than not. And that's partly why Grant doesn't look to do that as much. We've seen when Grant handles the ball, that is not a strength of his. And, and again, that's not a knock on him. There are a lot of guys in the NBA who are not very good ball handlers, but they're smart enough to know that's not who they are. So do exactly what you who you are. And I, I think Grant and his desire to get better and become a more well-rounded player but I do think that some of the what would be staples of his game, I think he got away from. And I think he needs, hopefully this time yeah. off the court, it'll get him back to thinking about and focusing on things that he's really good at. Yeah, and it, the irony of Grant is that he had to change his game from how, what he was in college because physically his profile couldn't uh, wouldn't allow him to do the sort of things right. that made him a very effective college player. So it's not his style. He had to develop into that 3 and D guy. He had to slim down a little bit so he could be a little bit more versatile in terms of positionally where he could play because he just simply is just not athletic enough at that size to be able to be kind of a you know a guy who can who can who can you know uh, do some of the things he got away with in college so he had to evolve and he did and he found that narrow role and then he kind of lost it so that's just what he's got to get back to yeah you look at his show shot profile this year it's not drastically different but for 18 percent last year of his shots came at the rim now just 13 percent uh, he only took three to ten footers 17 percent of the time last year that's up to 20. 10 to 16 up from three to five. So you do see him getting caught in between more. Now the amount of threes uh, as a percentage of his total shot, relatively the same, but he's shooting so poorly on those in between 33% from 10 to the three point line. They don't want those. They don't want those. They want from Brown. They'll accept them from Brown, uh, but not from Grant. Uh, And, you know, smart can get in between there too and have some success. They, I think they're selective about the mid-rangers they want to take, and Grant doesn't fit that profile. They need him to be a three-point shooter, and maybe that's what he's working on behind the scenes is ways to get that shot off, the sidestep, whatever it needs to be. He can't just out-fake, though, and put the ball on the floor and halt the flow of the offense. They want to get those shots off quick, and that's where turnovers come in recently. They want to get those threes off quickly so they're not turning the ball over. Uh, They... they have a game style they want to play, and Grant just seemed to veer from that. But I don't agree with taking him out of the rotation as a solution to that. I don't think that's going to help him. Maybe it gets his mind right. I guess there's an argument for that. But you actually have to be out on the floor playing. I don't get it get at all. Who you are. He, needed that, he needs that reality check. He, he, he needed that. Look, you're not a. It's not a matchup a, thing either. I don't believe that. Well, that's what we thought at first, and again, we're giving well, the no, it's of the clearly not that because it never made I, sense, right? That's why I think Joe Mazzulla wants to put him in the doghouse right now and say, "Hey, look, you think this spot rotation that you have is permanent? It's not. 
And this is his message to him. I like it. You do it now. You still have, what, 13 games left? I mean, I don't think it's a set in stone, but he's going to have to regain Missoula's well, When truck. do you go back to him? Well, one of these matchups. On he needs to play. And he needs to play. And it at can't just be like matchup, mop-up minutes. He's got to play at some point. I wouldn't be surprised if it's like someone like Houston. That'd be a good one to throw him out there against. Houston, got, yeah, that's what I mean. One of those teams. That, yeah, you can't send him against the Rockets, can you? You can do anything. He's out of the rotation. You can do it. You're the coach. Oh, it's a G League team. Oh, he's not coming back. Why the heck not? He may You're not. You're just going to throw him in game one of the playoffs after he misses 15, I, 20 games I, in a row? I think if it's a message, you probably do. At some point, he's got enough, he's got a whatever. But I don't think it's a message. I think some games he's like, I don't think I need Grant tonight. I actually just I, think. I, I you're the one who said it was a message. I thought it no, meaning like I think it's. I didn't say it was a message. I think the total package of what Grant is and what he's been doing has reached a point where I just don't think he's just Joe's just not about Grant right now. So I don't think it's right. a message in the sense it's of both. like sit there, here's your punishment, and I'll bring you back, <laughs> and you better behave. I think he's just like I don't think I'm. I don't think I need this guy. We'll we'll continue this conversation. We lost Sherrod briefly. We'll try to get and him back. Get him back into it, guys. We talked about you had a great Tatum game tonight, but Tatum, you know, Tatum's Tatum. The Hawks played no defense, but he had it going. He could well, you know what he much. did? This could he have was been super a, this, aggressive. This could have been a 50-point Tatum game if he wanted. It didn't yeah. feel like it. I think he could have gotten anything he wanted tonight. You think he's listening yeah, yeah. to Joe's three-point message? Launching them. Just fire bombs 14. away. Uh, he, yeah. he did it against Portland successfully in this 17, game. 17, one game, 14 in this game. Did he have 17 against Portland? He had 17 in the overtime game against uh, the Knicks, Knicks, maybe? The Knicks game, yeah. And then he had big ones in that third quarter against Portland. Then they want him to take these pull-ups right now because it's drawn the defense back. So even if you finish 5 for 14, it opened up a ton of driving lanes in this game for other guys. And this was a big night for the Celtics at the rim. They missed a million layups in that Portland game. I thought they got back to their uh, finishing inside in this game, particularly Brogdon. Blake had some nice cleanups at the rim. Uh, Brown got downhill. So they want Tatum firing these threes because it's going to open up areas for other guys to score. And, um, you know, I, it, it can look ugly at times. I, it just one, one possession he's pulling up and nailing it. The other, it's like rolling off the back of the rim or hitting the side of it. It, I still don't understand the shooting season he's having. He's right at league average, I guess, but this is a guy who has been an elite shooter at certain points of his career, and I guess it's just the volume that impacts that along with the pressure. Because uh, 5 of 14, you want to if he was like 6 or 7, that would be an amazing night. Uh, instead, you're probably just a little below what you're looking for in that kind of volume. Yeah, it's basically where you're at, and that's the thing is the volume brings the number down. Uh, he's shooting an insane amount of threes per game, and obviously he's also the person saddled with those kind of late-in-the-clock ball-in-my-hands, what-am-I-going-to-do sort of threes, and he shoots So you're sneaking in just enough tough ones that it's going to bring the So there's enough down. tough ones that yeah. throws it down, and also, I mean, how many times does the ball rotate over to – how many wide-open ones does he get? I mean, he just gets too much attention. So, again, you have to factor that into the numbers. I've been a little tough on him because you'd still like to – see it a tick higher because he does miss a lot of, he does miss more like quote unquote gimmies but he doesn't have tons of them you know uh, there's always somebody around him it's always you know somewhat contested he has to create a lot of them himself so yeah it's the volume and he he's not afraid to shoot those threes at all um we talked a little bit about him but hauser um 
<laughs> you know, again, night. again, it's always that, that 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 trade off. Like you see that one play where you know, uh, you know, he switches on to De, to Dejounte Murray. Dejounte there, Murray and Way Murray. Up. Murray cooks him, you know, crosses him over, goes to the left. He's gone standing still. And you're like, okay, that's the downside. And teams see that and they hunt him like crazy on these switches. But that doesn't happen as often as you would think uh, where he gets absolutely dusted. But you know what happens, John? When they do that, it takes them out of their normal. Takes them out of their rhythm. And if he's able – and the thing that the Celtics have figured out, I think more times than not, they have figured out how to get him help. So that he doesn't yeah. get totally cooked. Because I mean, the Jonathan Murray. I mean, he's cooking pretty much most players if he gets them in the ISO situation. So I don't look at that as this huge like detriment to Sam because Sam basically falls in line with about 90 percent of the players at that position when you're trying to guard the Jonathan Murray. He's that good. But the Celtics have done a much better job as we've gotten deeper into the season of figuring out where to send, where to get, bring the help for Sam so that he doesn't get cooked. And Sam's job then is if they're going to give me help defensively I need to help my team offensively and his confidence in terms of shot taking and shot making is very different the last couple of weeks than it was and really I go back to when he got benched and when he got an opportunity to get back into the the rotation he has not done anything detrimental to his his status being in that rotation he looks Uh, like himself again he looks like the guy that was knocking down threes at, you know, back in November and December uh, and, and looked like one of the biggest steals you know, on, the, on the Celtics roster. Uh, and that's what they're going to need if they're going to have that kind of deep playoff run that they, they've been talking about all season. You know what's exciting, yeah, you know, too? They're running plays for him. Yeah, that's true. As they should. He's your best, he's your, right. he's your best flat-out shooter. Why the hell are you not running plays for the guy that you know his job literally is to make shots? Well, yeah, and also because you know this is this is significant because I feel like the the biggest reason why he was out of that rotation or in Ime, I mean, excuse me, Joe Mazzulla's doghouse was because he was he was getting cooked on defense a lot of the time, and that last time it happened, it was against the Charlotte Hornets, and ever, ever since that moment, it seemed like okay, now when I'm coming in, I got to make sure I lock down defensively or I get back and transition when the Celtics are giving up a whole lot of points and and not focus so much on if I miss two or three three-pointers, I'm going to be benched. You know what I mean? I feel like he had that headspace in a way, but also knowing that, look, if I buckle down defensively, I'm going to get extended minutes. And those extended minutes have led to this, what we're seeing now, him finding that rhythm offensively and being consistent. And once that consistency is shown, that's when you're able to put yourself in that rotation. You're there for good. And that's, that's where he's been ever since, you know, right yeah, before the all-time break and, and right into after the break. He, he, hasn't really, he hasn't really slowed down since. I love what Sherrod said because I do think and Celtics should know this above all else. You know, uh, one of the things, two, two time, the two instances you see the Celtics uh, offense grind to a halt most often is those late game situations where for some reason or another, they just slow it. They walk it up, they do whatever, uh, and they just slow their pace. That's one uh, that's infuriating. The second one is when they've got a juicy matchup on there and they hunt it. Because as Sherrod just said, you take yourself out of your offense when you're just looking for it. You might get one bucket early, but then you just keep going and keep going to it. And what ends up happening is you completely neutralize everybody else out there. You get out of your flow, and that becomes your your everything. And I don't think it pays off enough uh, to do that because then the other team is like, okay, this is what they're doing. Then they're kind of set up for it. They're ready to help. And it just isn't as 
effective as you would think. I understand if like back back when Isaiah was playing and you're like, okay, let's just switch and get get somebody on him in the post and there's nothing he's going to be able to do. When you have massive size, Mitch Messers or something like that, sure. But just switching on to how trying to get Hauser to switch on to you so you can try to cook him every single time, it's going to burn you. So, this you know, the Celtics, I wonder if they know that after having kind of suffered through some pitfalls on their own of like, we're not great when we hunt matchups. So maybe actually we can use this to our advantage and maybe people will be sitting hunting Hauser matchups all day long and that'll take them out of their rhythm. I don't know if that factors in the calculation, but it never goes as bad as you would think. You have a play like that against Murray and then it's like, it didn't happen again. Everything was actually okay the rest of the time. And so I don't know. I mean, that's that's how I view it. And if he's doing, if he's knocking down the shots, you're living with the defense. I keep using the same word to describe him. He's competitive. He's he's competitive on defense. He's where he needs to be. He does his best. Right now he's yeah. yeah. He's in the forty fifth percentile. So he's an average. He's fine. Defender. That's the thing is everyone's talking about exactly him like he's unplayably want. bad. He's yeah. not. If he's somewhere in that mid range, you can. He's fine. He's fine. You know, it's interesting. He gives up point nine six points per possession on isolations. Grant gives up point nine three, uh, so it's been comparable in that spot. Even Al, that point nine seven, and he's not isolated a lot. But uh, yep. you know. He, you're basically getting one possession a game where teams are lining up Hauser on average. Might yep. be some more, some games, might be some less. And it probably varies based on how much he plays. Uh, but he's done a better job with it, and he's big. I think that's what we forget. 6'8", taller than Grant. I don't know if he's longer. We'd have to take out the tape measure again. Kind of thick. But. I mean, Sam is. A, is <laughs> you get in there, Bobby. Than people realize. I mean, he, he's no, he's no twig. Yeah, he's not a, he's not a teeny guy. Yeah, yeah. He's got good size for the wing position, and even the four in today's yep. game. In right, today's gonna, game, he's he's perfect. He's ideal. Yeah, we're gonna talk a little bit about um, Bobby's favorite. Excuse me, no. old man, old man Al. Uh, oh, I thought you were gonna do a loop uh, segment. No, no, no. We're gonna pivot to a guy who's the original the, favorite. The OG, the guy right there. Back to this game, guys. Bobby tweeted late in the game. We I don't think nationally, what was it, Bobby? People are Enough. people realize how people realize well what we're seeing. Al is playing right now. Yeah. Ballin. Don't <laughs> think enough people nationally realize how good Al Horford's playing right now. Um I don't mean I'm not calling you out for hyperbole, but he's been friggin' great. Two, I think he's up to the second most three point attempts of his career, shooting 45, percent uh, which is a ridiculous total. That probably actually comes down in a three for five game. Oh no, that goes up in a three for five game, but the 60 percent tonight. Uh, so it's it's incredible. I think he gets him up there quickly and efficiently. He's really got that release down right now in a great way. Almost had that game win or two against the Knicks earlier this week or about a week ago now, if you remember. And he just brings so much to the table. A couple big blocks tonight in this game as the Hawks rallied. Uh, you had good passing. He's always going to give you two, three assists, find guys in the movement of the offense. All you're missing from him right now is attacking mismatches around the rim or giving you that little uh, – finish inside uh, which you know he's capable of which he can give you in fact one of the recent games uh joe sway they threw him in the low block early in the game i like when they do that with him and he's able to carry this load with rob out uh, he's just in such great shape 
his game, as Jimmy's talked about and others, doesn't really need physicality uh, the way it did earlier in his career. So I think that helps sustain him too. And then, of course, the off nights as well. He's playing so well. You you don't even worry as much about Rob being out. And like we've talked about, you might even be better off with Alex Center than Rob, the way you want to play stylistically. It is. Yeah. You're giving up uh. a ton in some cases. You're giving up a ton because you see the rebounding thing. They, they were – Al I mean, doesn't rebound. Al doesn't anymore. rebound. They were non-competitive in some cases. Capella was just going up and just grabbing boards uncontested, um, yeah. uh, you know, on the offensive glass. There's nobody there. A lot of second there. chances for them, too. Nobody there. So that's yeah. your, it's a trade-off. But, again, who do you want to be and what style do you want to play, I think, is fair. Sherrod? Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the thing about Al right now. He has a very specific role. And him and I, we've talked about this in the past. The role that he is being asked to play is very different than the role that he's played throughout the course of his career. Al, remember, before Boston, when he was in Atlanta, Al was a banger. He was a guy that played around the rim. He could rebound. Now they're asking him to be a guy that can create space for others and be basically a 3 and D guy, uh, shoot corner threes. Uh, every now and then, put it on the floor. But when you put it on the floor, you're looking to make the pass to someone who's open, hoping that you'll get you'll suck the defense in and you'll find someone open, which he's very good at. But the idea that, that they can be better without Rob, I think there's certain matchups that can be true. But you're much better off when you've got a healthy Rob because that gives you the rim protection that you don't have without him. Uh, Blake Griffin, I thought, did a great job tonight. Maybe the best game I think Blake has had in terms of being an interior defender that he's had since he's been in Boston. But you're not going to get that every night because that's just not who he is, particularly at this point in his career. So they can get by with Al at that center spot. But if they're, if we're talking about them winning a championship, which is the focus, you're going to need Rob for at least one and probably two playoff series to be a difference maker. I, well, the trade-off's white, trade white and Rob. You're not going to sit out. But isn't Rob. it – haven't we learned our lesson here? Have we not at this point learned, um, you know, that – um, you're just playing them together this year. I don't think it's going to work. I think, I think, I think we have a 40, that group keeps getting outscored. We have a 40 game sample site. Which one? The, the, the Rob Al group, double big. Yeah. We have a, we have a Rob Al sample size that lasted about 35 games last year where they played like they were from another planet. And I think that we've somehow forgotten how bad double big was before that. Um, you know, in all of those times, especially when you were trying to do it with Tristan, um, you know, earlier <laughs> Tristan in the year. And Tice. Uh, Tristan and Tice double big, but we carried it through. You had about a 35 game stretch <laughs> where those guys were playing out of their friggin' minds, out of their minds. But then, you know, this year again, you know, small sample sizes, um, you know, and certainly what you've seen. You're up you know, to a 120 offensive rating with White instead of Rob. It's changed, okay? Because last year, what last year Rob was different, and last year Rob changed everything. So really, it was Rob being on the court. Rob impacted so many different things for you in ways that didn't necessarily show up in his individual stats, but the team was better with him out there at all times. And that was the case going back to two years ago until, you know, when, when, you know, Brad finally realized like I should stop playing this Tristan guy. Right. And everyone's like, yup, you know, <laughs> so, um, but Rob's not Rob. And if he, you know, if he doesn't become Rob again this year because of injuries or limitations, you have to change your thinking. You can't just stuff him in there and be like, well, it worked before. 
You're going to play Rob some amount. He's You're going to play him. There. I'm saying you can't fact, just say, like, they... these guys were awesome. I'm going back to I'm, you. If Rob comes back with seven games left, eight games left in the regular season, you're just going to stuff him in that starting lineup and be like, no, that's you're what I'm going time. with in and the I playoffs. Actually, I don't know. You can't do it now. I actually think Joe probably has some doubts about it at this point, especially if he wants them to play the five-out style. And you're still going to play Rob. In fact, you can still play Rob with the starters by taking out White quickly into a second unit uh, midway through quarters and get a four-minute, five-minute Rob Barris like you talk about, John. Um, and that did amazing. That's what I'm, made us want Rob in the starting lineup again pl- in I'm the first playing, place. I'm playing hockey shifts with Rob the rest of the way. Yeah, you know? I mean, that starting you know? group coming uh, together. Uh, over the boards real quick, three, four <laughs> minutes, get right back. That's it. You know, That starting shift. group as a bench unit thrived. Yeah early in the year in fact i think it was the pacers game on the road the last one where we were like rob's playing so great you got to get him back in that starting lineup and then he went to the starting lineup and didn't go as well Uh, so i think you saw early this year the best way to use rob at this point and it took me a long time but i'm ready to abandon double big as the starting unit very quickly from our uh, intrepid producer, Amit, uh, who's uh, who's working behind the scenes here, sending me info right now after tonight's game. At this moment, Al is still second in the league at three-point shooting. Uh, Luke Kennard is uh, 45.6647. Right there. Al was, is 45.6603. Yeah, I was trying to say that like seven at the end. Yeah. It is like... Wow, he threw it in the calculator. It is razor thin. Sorry, Joe Swain. Yeah. Oh my goodness gracious! That is friggin' tight, tight, tight. That's where Alex. Yeah, you know who's Isn't there? It, yeah, Brogdon. Isn't it amazing? You look at this team with the people that they had, and you were like, "Okay, I like the shooting. This team could be pretty good this year." Who had friggin' Al two and Brogdon three in the NBA in shooting? I mean, if you said that at the beginning of the year, you'd be like, "Oh my god, this team's never gonna lose a game," you know? So. I mean, right. it's amazing you're getting those kind of contributions from those players. They're wide open. They're uh, wide open. Know, and this yeah. is why we thought White would shoot better here. This is why we yeah, thought Brogdon would Yeah, because of the Tatum return. and Brown gravity, yeah. Yeah, he, he would return to what he did with Giannis early in his career. And Al, we've seen him do this playing with Isaiah. We've seen him do this uh, playing with Tatum at different points earlier in his career. And yep. Kyrie and the whole group. He can hit wide open threes and they leave them wide open because they need to defend the rim too and you see with this five out lineup you're really stretching a defense then and Horford really knows how to screen for them too White knows how to screen for them that's freeing guys up you're thriving offensively with this group out here and for them to still score 120 points for 100 possessions with that group outscoring opponents by 13 points in 300 minutes that's great evidence that that you just got to roll with that group 70% assist rate the only thing, John, like you said, you, you lose about like six points on the defensive rebounding, and you really lose most of your offensive rebounding without Rob out there. But like I said, you're still going to play him. You're still going to play him a lot. You can stagger those bigs, and you don't even have to play Blake, uh, Cornette, all those guys down the line, Mascala. You can just yeah. share those two's minutes. But we'll the, other see. Thing too, the other thing, too, Bobby, is that it, it kind of goes back to your point you made earlier about Tatum and his shooting. You know, Tatum is shooting pretty average. But the shots that his presence has created for others, getting easy looks, wide open looks, kind of, frankly, it buffers that number, and, and it, it doesn't look nearly as bad. And now Good point. What, we're seeing from, what we're seeing from Tatum and Brown is a lot more, not just passing the ball, but actually passing it to guys in position to score. You look at the box score tonight, Tatum had six assists, I think one turnover? Jalen had, what, 
That's an amazing Jalen game. They, that combi- they combined yeah. for 13 assists and had a combined two turnover. It's amazing. I did hate that, that one, though. That one was ugly. <laughs> it was ugly, but it doesn't kidding. matter. That's a great point, Sherrod. I mean, and I think that that's the thing. Is like It's easy to get mad at Tatum, and because, you know, the expectations are so high. He's a superstar. Um, and, you know, you've seen hot Tatum before and you're like, just be that, you know. Um, but it, it, it's his job. His job is to jack those threes. His job is to draw the defense. His job is to make everybody think he's going to shoot all the time to be able to free up those other guys to do what they're doing. And you're right. That's the best testament to those guys uh, to, to, to Tatum's play on the court is one, the on-off of numbers, but also how well other people like Brogdon and like uh, Horford are doing uh, and just how wide open they are, you know, when when they're on the court there. That's the best well, part the about this one today. Yep. You, you're seeing the team respond to what Joe wants them to do, uh, top to bottom, you know, responding to his emphases. And uh, I think all the different little areas he talks about, whether it's offensive rebounding, whether it's, uh, the amount of threes they want to take or the the following, like the four factors, they're keyed in on all that. I guess the only thing that, and of course the threes do worry me, uh, but the only other thing I think about like really hammering on, the, on this very analytical style of play, because when you hear Joe talk in the huddle, he's pointing out these stats, right? He's pointing out the different advantages they have in terms of shot output or uh, percentages or things. Is that going to keep guys keyed in, engaged? Uh, is it going to keep guys overthinking? Because I went, they have these lapses, right? And you even saw them tonight. The lead slips to five. The lead slips to eight. The lead slips to seven. It's going to happen in games, but it's happened a little bit consistently for them. And you do have to have Joe reining in things with the timeout again. You do have to have Joe making tough lineup decisions down the stretch of games. I just wonder if there's just sort of this really tight, tight focus on analytics that – is going to leave guys overthinking a little bit out there on the floor rather than just making a basketball play. Well, it is weird. Feel of the game. It's weird how uh, adamant he's gotten about it. Like demonstrative. Don't even see it in their play, John. Like they're like, we got to get to the three. Should we shoot it? Should we shoot the three instead? Should we shoot the three instead? It's actually weird to insist on it in the way that he does. And at this point to be able to do it, it actually means that he hasn't seen it nearly as much as he wants. And I think a lot of what the stuff you're seeing again, I really do believe the Hauser stuff now is like, I know this guy's doing like, if the guys I'm putting out there won't, I'm gonna put guys out who will. I'm not Blake saying that's a, for sure. Too, yeah. yeah, I mean, Blake will sure. Yeah, I'll shoot it if I'm over here. Why not? But it doesn't matter. Like, I, I do think he, it's it's a it, you know uh, he is really 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 convinced that's the way. And I'm not gonna argue that it's not. But you're right. The, it does. Uh, you do wonder if it jives with the idea of like can't we just like take what the game gives us and just play within the flow and play ball and like take open shots when they're open, but otherwise don't, or am I literally is my goal out here just to try to find the first open three we can possibly get and take it. Is that who we want to be? So there is still a weird little identity kind of, uh, I wouldn't say crisis, but um, you know, trying to figure out exactly how they're going to play, you know, after the way they played early in the year, I, I really think Joe just wants that again. Like we were moving the ball so well and it was resulting in so many good looks. Can't we just be that, you know, don't dribble, don't try to friggin' don't set guys up, just move it and, 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 and jack it and go. And whatever happens, happens. I think that's what he wants to be. 
So I don't know. There's a lot more to talk about. They're on the they're 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 you know they're on the road. Um, Only which eight means, turnovers tonight's pretty yeah, good too. We'll be here. Are any of you lunatics covering any of these other games on the road here? Sherrod? I'll be in Portland. Yeah, I'll be in Portland and Salt Lake City. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy kids. All right. Well, we'll all be here doing garden reports. We'll be trying to track spring down Sherrod. It must be spring break. From the road. It's spring break for me. So <laughs> is it for you too? Yeah. I'm making it to Sacramento though, Sherrod, huh? That's the most exciting environment, I think, on the I got class. I have class uh, on that period of time. Yeah. So right. the, the Draper Sherrod reunion will not occur. Oh, that's shout, right. Yeah. Shout He's out, to, right now. Shout out to Kyle Draper, who came yeah. out uh, and made a big announcement about himself, a personal announcement uh, that he'd been battling, uh, uh, you know, his own problems with uh, with alcohol. Uh, and he's been sober for six years and he put it out there kind of for the world to know. Uh, and so it's, uh, you know, hats off to Drapes for 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 Proud of my know. boy. Yeah, for, for doing what he's done oh and God. for the struggle that he's gone through and for being open about it. Um, and I know he's gotten a lot of love on Twitter, but for those of you out there that remember Drapes from his uh, NBC days and obviously one of Sherrod's close personal friends, and we all work together over at NBC together, uh, good for Great Drapes. Dude. So Great since you dude, mentioned yeah. Sacramento, we'll we'll give a, a, a shout out to Drapes. Six years sober. Congrats, buddy. Um, we're going to wrap yeah, he told it. Us, he told us don't sleep on Sacramento, too. He's been saying that. So yeah, this is the year, I guess. He did. Give me some, get me some Draper on the show when, when we do it. We're going to tell you one more time because it's a, it's a big thing for us. And again, I've gotten some tweets on it. For those of you looking to sign up, fanduel.com slash Boston. Again, uh, the FanDuel, num- America's number one sportsbook, has partnered with us here at CLNS Media as their number one digital partner here in the market. FanDuel.com slash Boston. FanDuel is the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. So again, go check that out. Take advantage of a terrific promotion, which is right here on the screen. As you can see, uh, bet five, get 200 bonus bets. Again, that's the URL. There's a little code there. You can scan that on your screen if you want to check it out, uh, and it'll take you right to it. Really easy to do on mobile. Go sign up fast. Uh, no, if you're, if you're interested in doing this kind of stuff, um, this is a great place to do it. Again, it's safe. It's easy. Uh, it's fun. And again, if this is your thing, uh, FanDuel is, uh, you know, as we said, number one sports book in America, one of the most trusted sports books out there. Um, so you can always feel good uh, about placing your money You're here. You're going to try them. it out anyway. It's new. It's fresh. Just <laughs> got here. It's funny money. It's funny money. Five, you bet five, you get 200, you play around with it, uh, see what happens there. Again, please gamble responsibly if this is something that you are interested in. Make sure you place your bets. Uh, and, you know, go to FanDuel. Take advantage of the offer. If you do this again, FanDuel.com slash Boston, as we said, uh, it really helps us out here at the Garden Report. So we would really greatly appreciate it. We always appreciate you guys. Joe Sway's gone. We always appreciate you guys. As <laughs> soon as you put that down. <laughs> <laughs> I reached out for a second. Damn. <laughs> we appreciate you guys uh, joining us as always. Uh, Magic beat here. the Heat tonight, and uh, and the and the Golden State came back, and they uh, looks like they took down the Bucks in OT. Um, yeah, crazy game. And they were. By down. the way, I didn't even say it tonight. This is probably the team you want to play round one, right? Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no way Atlanta can beat you. Did four yes. or five games. Yo, send us to ATL. Let's do it. Come on. <laughs> That's what Joe Sway is thinking about. I was talking about the ease of victory. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's too. That's, too. that's, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put this thing on the screen one more time. I think it's kind of cool. If you scan it, I can see it. Somebody scan it right now. Anybody. 
I'm on. Light it up. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it. It lights up. It lights up for you. me. Give me another one. Anybody. Anybody. You you just pull out your phone. Just a lot of people are watching way. on their phone. That's there you go. That's me. Okay. Yeah, we can see it. I just did it. Yep, there's another one. Scan it, boom, we can see it. It lights up. I get a little little prompt when you do it. Again, go check that out for the FanDuel situations here if you guys are interested in signing up. Uh, we really would appreciate it. We're going to wrap it. Thanks again for hanging out with us at the Garden Report. Sherrod Blakely in Atlanta. Bobby Manning, uh, dressed for success uh, with his Horford jersey in the background. I got a throwback here. Yeah. Hey, I know what that is. yeah. Oh, look at me. Me too. This, this is one. how the sponsors know we still love them. We still love you guys. I love you guys away. at Legends. You want to sponsor us again? Give us some clothes? Fine. Yeah, otherwise, we, we, we don't rock your stuff. So that's yeah. how you know we like it. That's cool. Yep. And again, yeah, thank you guys for hanging out. Uh, thank you for supporting our sponsors. We will see you guys.